Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Bedtime with Dan. Your 10-15 minutes just to relax. Hopefully we can uh, chew you out before you go to bed or if you're working, chew you out work. If you're driving to work, a bit of relaxing time. Listen to me cock up a few words. Today I'm recording this on the 21st and I had some sad news about my uncle. So I just wanted to say uh, rest in peace, Michael, and to the rest of my family. Stay strong. And uh, this story has no relevance uh, to my family or anything like that, but I just want to dedicate it to my uncle. And uh, let's crack on. So today's story is Thomas the Rhymer, or True Thomas. And the tale of Thomas the Rhymer is a very old story indeed. When he was a boy, King James I of Scotland, 1394 to 1437, heard stories of True Thomas. Thomas lived in the Scottish borders in a place once known as Elsildon. I don't think I've got that right, but it's close enough. Now called Earlston. His tale, sung in border ballads, was retold by Walter Scott, among many others. At once he's received the gift of truth-telling, Thomas loses the power to invent stories. Nigh on 700 years ago, in the borderlands of Scotland, in the village of Elston lived a young man named Thomas. Thomas was a minstrel. He wrote poems and set them to music. At feasts and fairs he would play upon his small harp to entertain folk. His verse made heart sore while his music shimmered through the air like a rainbow arching across the earth. His songs were so melodic that he was known both near and far as Thomas the Rhymer. One warm summer morning, Thomas left his room in Lermont Tower and went on wandering by the Huntley Burn. His father was holding a midsummer feast on the morrow and Thomas had promised to have a special ballad ready to celebrate the occasion. But the rhymes he required were not come into his mind. The sun blazed yellow in the sky above him and in every dale and dell of the border countryside trees and flowers bloomed, red, blue, green and gold. Thomas found a shady spot under an Eildon tree and taking his harp in his hand, he strummed upon the strings. As the day wore on, his head began to ache. The words still eluded him. His eyelids drooped and he lay down on the grassy bank and fell asleep. In the glooming light of half dusk, Thomas awoke with a start. It was late but not full, fully dark, for it was Midsummer's Eve the time of the summer solstice, when the veil between the world of mortals and the world of other people is drawn aside. Thomas sat up, wondering what had caused him to wake. He heard a ringing singing sound and thought it to be the tickling noise of water dashing over stones in the nearby Huntley Burn. Moonlight shone around the Ilden tree and Thomas saw, riding towards him, a lady on a snow-white horse with a silver crown resting upon her head. She was robed in a flowering dress and cloak of emerald green. On her feet were velvet slippers with tiny bells sewn on the toes. Bells hung from the horse's trappings and were plaited into its tower mane. As she moved through the wood, the green glade echoed with her ringing singing sound. Thomas, the lady called his name in a sweet low voice, obviously not the sound of mine, who are you, replied Thomas, that you so readily speak my name, yet I know not yours. 
I am the Queen of Fairyland, the lady replied. She beckoned him. You must catch my stirrup and come with me. Thomas thought the lady was the most beautiful creature he had ever seen, and he had no hesitation in doing as she said. He leapt to his feet, slinging the harp over his shoulder. He grasped the stirrup of the horse. The Queen of Fairyland bent her head and smiled at Thomas, and they went on their way. No word was spoken between Thomas and the Fairy Queen as they journeyed together. They travelled over a great river, and in the water swam fish of many colours that Thomas had never seen before. They travelled through a thick forest, and among the trees roamed wild beasts of a kind that Thomas had never seen before. They travelled past the city, and in the streets walked people of size and stature that Thomas had never seen before. His head was so filled with wonderment at the sights he saw that his senses reeled and speech stuck in his throat. Then they came to a place where the road branched in three directions. The Queen of Fairyland drew rein of the horse and the ringing singing sound of the bell stopped. Thomas looked at this first path. It was a rough track overgrown with thorn bushes. What path is that? he asked. The path to righteousness, replied the Fairy Queen. The second path was paved with smooth, shiny cobblestones. What path is that? Thomas asked. The path of wickedness, replied the Fairy Queen. The third path was a bonny road that wound like a ribbon towards the Eildon Hills. What path is that? Thomas asked. The Fairy Queen laughed softly and urged on her horse. She rode along the third path. Where are you taking me? asked Thomas, thrilled and frightened in equal measures. The Queen of Fairyland laughed again, through the hollow hill to the land of everlasting time. Soon they arrived at the bottom of a cliff, and a rock before them was flat and smooth, with no crack or fissure upon it. The Queen of Fairyland drew rein on, the ho- on her horse, and the ringing, singing sound of the bell stopped. I will give you a warning, Thomas the Rhymer, and you must pay heed to what I say. Thomas looked into the eyes of the Fairy Queen and listened to what she told him in her sweet, low voice. If you wish to return to your own country and your kin, then you must neither speak nor sup unless we are alone together. Thomas was afraid, for he dearly loved his homeland of Scotland and his relatives and friends, and he feared to be parted forever from this country and his kin. But he desperately wanted to go through the hollow hill and see the land of everlasting time. So he nodded and agreed. But first you must bind your promise with a kiss. This I will do willingly, said Thomas. If you will make me a promise that you will take me back to my home of Elston after I, ha- I have counted the passage of seven days. The fairy queen nodded and agreed. Thomas kissed the queen in fairyland. Thomas kissed the queen in fairyland to bind his promise to her that he would neither speak nor sup unless they were alone together. The queen of fairyland kissed Thomas the Rhymer to bind her promise to him that she would return him to his home after he had counted his passage of seven days. Then the queen of fairyland raised her hand and pointed at the flat smooth surface of the rock with no crack upon it. The cliff face shuddered, a hidden door swung open and fairy queen and Thomas entered it. With a ringing singing sound they trotted through fairyland 
The scent of honey filled the air and flowers were strewn in the path wherever you went. The fairy queen led Thomas to her palace of gold where he rested. Every day was spent in composing verse with the fairy queen and every night was spent making music. It was easy for Thomas to remember to neither speak nor sup unless her and the fairy queen were alone together, but it was not so easy for Thomas to remember upon the passage of time. Such was the entertainment and so full was his happiness that Thomas almost forgot to count the days. To make sure he didn't overstay, every morning he strummed upon his harp and every evening he plucked out one of his strings. On the morning after he had plucked out the seventh string, no tune came from his harp when he tried to play it. Three times Thomas tried and three times the harp remained silent. Then Thomas understood that it was time for him to go home to Elston. He spoke to the Queen of Fairyland. As I have kept my promise to you to neither speak nor sup unless you and I were alone together, it's time for you to keep your promise, to take me back home to Elston. There were tears in the eyes of the Fairy Queen as she replied, a promise made and bound with a kiss must be kept. I said I would return you home to Elston, and I will do. No word was spoken between Thomas and the Queen as the journey in together. Mounted on the snow-white horse, with a ring-singing sound, they left the golden palace and went through the hollow hill and out of the hidden door in the face of the cliff. Leaving the realm of fairy and the land of everlasting time, they trotted away from Ilden Hills, until they came to the place where the road branched in three directions. The Queen of Fairyland drew rein of the horse and the ringing singing sound of the bell stopped. Thomas looked at the first path, which was rough track overgrown with thorn bushes. I do not choose the path of righteousness, he said. Thomas looked at the second path, which was paved with smooth and shiny cobblestones. I do not choose the path of wickedness, he said. Thomas looked at the third path, which was a bonny road, that wound like a rainbow away from Ilden Hills. Before he could say anything more, the fairy queen laughed softly, and urging on her horse, she rode along the third path in the direction of Elston. They travelled past the city, where in the streets walked people of sizes and stature that Thomas had seen before. They travelled through the thick forest, where among the trees were wild beasts of kind that Thomas had seen before. They travelled over the great river where the water swam fishes of many colours that Thomas had seen before. His head was so filled with wonderment at the sights he saw that his senses reeled and his speech stuck in his throat. In the glooming light of half dusk they reached the Huntley Burn and the grassy bank below the Ilton Tree. The Queen of Fairyland drew rein of the horse and the ringing singing sound stopped. Ah, Thomas thought loudly. I must find my father and apologise seven times for being seven days late for his midsummer feast. The Queen of Fairyland bent her head and smiled at Thomas. More than seven times, seven will you have to apologise to your father. It will break my heart to leave you, Thomas told her, for he had fallen in love with the Fairy Queen. As it will mine, for the same reason, replied the Queen. Will I never see you again, Thomas wept. We might yet be together, said the Queen. When the time comes for you to return to me, I will send you a sign. You must bind your promise with a kiss, said Thomas. That I will do, said the Queen. And in exchange for all the songs and music that you have shared with me, 
I will give you a gift to ye, said the Queen of Fairyland, kissing Thomas and said, The kiss I give to say goodbye ensures your tongue will never lie. Thomas ran home, bursting into the great hall of Lermont Tower. He flung himself in at his father's feet, saying, Dearest father, I am sorry that I am seven days late for your midsummer feast. His father staggered back in amazement. Dear son, he said, it is not seven days, but seven years since you went missing from the tree. Then Thomas understood why the fairy queen had said, More than seven times, seven will not have apologised to your father enough. Thomas's father was overjoyed to see him and bade him come to the table where he was dining with one of his neighbours. Thomas played his harp and tried to make up a verse to entertain them. The friend seemed pleased enough with his efforts, but to Thomas the song sounded empty of meaning and magic. I regret my wife was not fit to travel to hear your wonderful music, his father's friend told him. Thomas looked up. As the words came from the man's mouth, Thomas could see the inside of his house. A woman sat beside a cradle that held a newborn baby. She would not want to leave your baby child, said Thomas. The man gave Thomas a strange look. How is it that you have news of the birth of a baby son when you have been gone for these parts of seven years? I do not know, said Thomas. Does your son sleep in a cradle of oak wood? He does, replied the man. But lots of cradles are made of stout oak wood. Does it have a canopy with your family crest embroidered on it? It does, said the man. It is my wife who did the needlework for she is skilled in this craft. Does your wife have the most lovely hair, black like the raven's wing? The man's face flustered in anger. You are too familiar with the words about my wife. It is what I can see, said Thomas. Thomas's father cried out, Dearest son, why do you speak this way? You are in danger of insulting our honoured guest. But Thomas could not stop, for the fairy queen had given him the gift of truth-telling. The kiss I give to say goodbye ensures your tongue will never lie. I see your wife in her bedchamber, said Thomas. The man stood up and reached for his sword. I see your son and your wife in the bedchamber, Thomas went on. I see the scaffolding outside the window left by the builder repairing the roof. I see a small fire burning in the brazier. I see it tip over the, in the wind and the wood of the scaffolding set alight. Fetch my horse, the man shouted, and he raced from Lermont, Lermont Tower, rode off in full speed. Upon arriving at the house an hour later, the man rescued his wife and child, just as the flames flickered against the bedroom window. As news of this incident spread, people realised that Thomas had foretold the fire before it actually happened. From that day forth, instead of creating his own stories and songs, Thomas spoke only of what he saw in his mind's eye. He wrote down these visions, many of them coming true, and some have yet to happen. Thomas's fame spread throughout Scotland into the countries beyond. Nobles and knights, merchants and millers, and ordinary working folk visited him in the Lermont Tower to seek his advice. In addition to being named Thomas the Rhymer, he also became known as Truth Thomas. Time passed, not seven hours, not seven days, nor seven years, but seventy years. Thomas grew weary of bearing the burden of prophecy. His spirit yearned to wander once again in the realms of his imagination. His heart longed to recapture the magic of making music. More and more often he would climb to the top of Lermont Tower, 
look beyond the Elden Tree and sigh. I think the Queen of Fairyland has forgotten her promise to come and take me back to the everlasting time. One day on the eve of winter solstice, when the vow between the world of mortals and the world of other people was drawn aside, a hunter came running into the hall of Lermont Tower. There is a white hind standing near the Huntley Burn. I stretched my bow to shoot the arrow at it. Suddenly my arm froze and for a minute I could not move. When I recovered, I knew I must tell Truth Thomas this news. Thomas left his room in Lermont Tower and walked to the Huntley Burn. Underneath the Elden Tree was a pure white hind. On her head rested a silver crown. Thomas went close to the magical creature, and the shape of Thomas became the shape of the tree covered in white frost, and then slowly became the shape of a pure white heart. Heart and hind stood by each other. They looked one last time at Elston and the Elden Tree, and then they bound away together towards the Elden Hills. Snow began to fall, and from afar became echoing with a ring-sing sound of bells. And that's the end of the story, guys. That was a struggle to get through. There was a lot of... It wasn't even rhymes, it was just... I couldn't get my words out. <laughs> but I hope you guys enjoyed it, and um, I'll catch you with my best buddy, Jamie, on Friday as always. See you later, guys.